From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. We're nearing the end of our second pandemic summer. Some things feel the same as last year, but there are differences too. Here to talk about where things stand is Syracuse University epidemiologist, Dr. Brittany Kamush. She's an assistant professor in public health at SU's Falk College of Sport and Human Dynamic. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Kamush. Hi, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Now, as an epidemiologist specializing in infectious disease epidemiology, what have you learned from this pandemic? A whole lot. It's been a a, a year of learning. Um, you know, this is a, a once in a lifetime pandemic. And even though we learn about a lot of the great pandemics in school, you never actually expect that you're going to find yourself in the middle of one. So it's been a, a year of learning um, it, or almost two years now, I guess. Um, and, you know, I've learned that human behavior has a lot more to do with infectious disease transmission than I had initially imagined. I think that's my biggest uh, learning point. Human behavior in terms of people not recognizing or taking this seriously, or what do you mean by that? Um, not necessarily that people don't take it seriously, just that people get tired of, of being told what to do. Um, and we're definitely experiencing a lot of pandemic fatigue, the restriction fatigue. People just want to be back to normal, and, and I get that. I'm right there with them, but we still have a ways to go before we're out of this pandemic. Let's go back to the beginning of the pandemic. Experts weren't really sure how and why the disease was spreading the way it was at the time. Is there general agreement now on how this has spread and why it's spread so fast? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much all the evidence suggests most of the transmission is through the, the air, either larger particles or aerosolized particles, being in close proximity with someone who's sick for a long period of time and, and breathing in the air, and that's how, how it's spread. Um, and that's why it can spread so quickly. You know, we can't see these transmission events happening, and it can spread from uh, one person to quite a few other people. Are there areas of the world that have been spared by this? And if so, do we know why? There are a few areas um, I wouldn't say necessarily spared, but less affected than we had initially pre predicted. So one of them is uh, New Zealand. Um, they, and that was, you know, there we know why it was relatively less affected because of their very strict lockdown and quarantine uh, requirements. And so they've been living pretty normal lives because one, they're an island and they're able to restrict people coming and going much easier than some other places. And then they had a really strict lockdown and they have really strict lockdowns for a few weeks when they find cases and then they can go back to kind of normal. Another area that's been less hit than people predicted is Sub-Saharan Africa, and we're not entirely sure why um, there have been fewer cases there than, than experts initially predicted. Interesting. Well, that's probably something you're looking at. Now, you're, you teach students, and so here you are teaching in the midst of a pandemic about pandemics. Are your students more engaged than before? Yes, absolutely. They're they're. Not that they weren't engaged before, but all of a sudden it's a lot easier to draw parallels to their everyday lives. Um, and it makes it a, a bit more relevant and makes people pay, pay more attention. Is this virus spreading faster than the 1918 Spanish flu and is it infecting as many people? So it's, it's spreading actually about the same, right? So we saw in 1918 within a matter of months, 
almost the entire world was seeing cases. Uh, and same thing with with the coronavirus. So, you know, within a few months, almost the entire world had seen a few cases. Um, and so it is at the 1918 influ uh, influenza was probably more deadly, at least at this point in the pandemic. Um, experts estimated about 50 million deaths from the 1918 influenza pandemic. Uh, at this point in the coronavirus pandemic, we're at about 4.5 million deaths, um, probably due to some vaccination preventing some excess deaths. The Spanish flu back in 1918, there wasn't a vaccine that was developed during the Spanish flu and offered to people. So that's a huge difference, right, between what we've got going on now. So yeah, that's one of the major advances is how quickly we were able to identify um, and develop a vaccine. So the first influenza vaccines weren't licensed in the United States until the 1940s, so 20 years or so after the 1918 uh, influenza pandemic. And so, you know, about a year into the coronavirus pandemic, we had a, several vaccine candidates. And so that's a huge scientific breakthrough and probably, you know, one of the reasons why um, we're having lower deaths um, at this point in the pandemic. Now, you mentioned you talked a little bit about human behavior um, during the pandemic that that has sort of been enlightening to you. But are there things that the virus itself is doing that surprise epidemiologists? Is there anything that, I don't know, caught you guys off guard a little bit? I mean, yes and no. So, you know, the virus did mutate. That's not necessarily surprising. Viruses mutate all the time, and it's just a matter of which parts mutate. So, um, if it's a, the part that the immune system recognizes, that's when you can start having variants that are a little bit different and can escape vaccines. Some viruses, those parts don't necessarily mutate very much. And so while we did expect the coronavirus to mutate, um, the RNA viruses, they just, you know, as they're reproducing, just kind of make mistakes and due to random error. And so we would expect that, um, but I think you know, predicting exactly when and how these these mutations and variants would would come about is is hard and can be surprising. Well, one big difference between um, August 2021 and August 2020, obviously, is the availability of the vaccine, at least for adults. Now, how much of a difference do you think the vaccine has made? And I just wonder, like, without it, do you expect that the death rate would be a lot higher than it is? Yes, absolutely. So, at least in the, the United States and parts of Europe um, and Asia, certain parts where, where the vaccine is widely available, uh, we forget that in most of the world, it's not easy to get the vaccine yet, right? So, a lot of a few countries have most of the doses of the vaccine. So, in the places where the vaccine is widely available, it has made a huge difference, I think, in the number of hospitalizations and deaths, um, especially because uh, the when we see deaths, right? It's because there's not adequate care. There, you know, there's not typically most of the deaths are due to that they just couldn't get the care they need. Um, and so, if we have hospital beds and we have, you know, well rested, uh, adequate staffing, that can prevent a huge number of deaths. And so, when we have fewer cases, fewer hospitalizations, that then will lead to fewer deaths. Um, because the healthcare system can adequately cope with the number of cases. 
This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Brittany Kamush. She's an assistant professor in public health at the Syracuse University Falk College of Sport and Human Dynamics. So I'd like to talk about what has happened to put us in the position we're in now, where positive cases have increased ninefold since the start of July, and here we are mid-August, and hospitalizations are at the highest rate since February. So what's going on? I think there's a couple of, of reasons. Um, one is this Delta variant, which seems to have a shorter incubation period and is a bit more transmissible than the original version. Um, and then another thing is that human behavior. So as we saw in uh, coming into the summer, we had lower and lower cases, higher and higher vaccination rates. And I think people kind of let their guard down and were ready to get back to normal. And then as soon as we kind of let that that mindset set in, then we uh, increase the risk of transmission. And so the um, lessening of restrictions combined with the higher uh, percentage of the Delta variant, I think is leading to the number of cases and increasing cases that we're seeing right now. What do you think that means for our fall and winter here in central New York? I think it means we're going to need to keep uh, keep masking, keep trying to social distance and not have as normal of a fall as we were initially hoping we would. I had kind of thought that we would see an increase in cases in the fall and winter. Um, it definitely started increasing a bit earlier than I would have predicted. Um, I think largely due to the Delta variant, but I think we're going to still see an increase in cases unless we can get closer to that, you know, 95% herd immunity. So I've heard some people talk about how once the FDA gives its full approval to the vaccines, then maybe more employers are going to require vaccination. What will that do toward, you know, toward eliminating the pandemic? So as we have more and more people who are vaccinated, that leaves fewer and fewer people that the the virus can infect. And so if there's fewer people that can be hosts for the virus, then we'll see fewer and fewer cases because there won't be anywhere for the virus to go to. Uh, it will, will stop transmission. Um, and so that would be very helpful to reduce the number of cases. Um, but when we look at the big picture, I think New York State's at about 78% of, of adults are fully vaccinated um, at this point. Unfortunately, what we need to look for are the pockets, right? So we can have a high overall, but if there's a pocket, a neighborhood, a county, a school district where there's very low vaccination rates, the virus gets in there and then it spreads very, very quickly. And so while the overall number is really important, we have to look out for those pockets because those pockets of susceptible people where there's a pocket of, of a high number of people who aren't vaccinated, that's where the, if the virus gets in there, it's going to keep transmitting and will spill out into the wider community. Yeah, that's an interesting point, because all it takes is one person. From what I've read, this new variant, um, a person spreads it more readily. It's it's easier to spread. Yes. So, mm -hmm. um, well, how are we going to know when all of this is over? Because it felt sort of over in the spring, and I think people started kind of celebrating a little bit and, you know, going out with friends more and doing the stuff we missed. Um, and now it feels a lot like we're back, you know, back in the thick of it. So how do we tell that it's over for good? 
That's a great question. I'm not sure that there's one right answer uh, to know when it's over for good. Um, I think at, at some point this coronavirus will kind of be a, a normal circulating you know, winter bug. So there are several types of coronaviruses that cause the common cold in humans that just increase in circulation every winter. And so I think at some point we will get to to where we're just used to this, right? We see increasing cases of influenza every year uh, and we're just, we're used to it, we expect it and it doesn't scare us or shock us. And so I think at some point we'll reach that level. I'm not entirely sure when that will be, if it'll be, uh, I don't think it'll be this winter, maybe two or three winters from now, it'll just be a normal, normal thing. I appreciate you making time for HealthLink on air. Dr. Brittany Kamush is an epidemiologist from Syracuse University's Falk College of Sport and Human Dynamic. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate Medical University's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on air.